Hello and welcome to this first episode of our Roads to Law podcast series. And our first interviewee interviewee is Professor Tarunab Khetan, um, who's a professor of law here at Oxford and uh, was himself a Rhodes Scholar from 2004. Uh, we are very pleased to have you, Professor Khetan, here with us today. Rahul, it's a great pleasure to be here uh, and to speak to you and to the Rhodes community through this podcast. Thanks very much. Um, so my first question to you is, uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, you came to Oxford in 2004. Uh, before that, you were uh, you studied law at the National Law School of India University in Bangalore. And you've noted in a previous interview that while Bangalore developed your politics, Oxford helped you become a scholar. Uh, I'm wondering if you can comment on what you meant by that and how the Rhodes experience in particular shaped your legal and general thinking. Well, Sarawal, I grew up in a small town in India. Um, and for the first 18 years of my life, it was a very small world that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't many books. There was no internet. And we didn't travel very much. I only largely knew people like myself. Well, like myself in an ethno-cultural sense, but also I didn't really fit in. Um, there was something quite strange about about that world, which I noticed as a child, but never had the vocabulary to articulate. Bangalore, uh, moving to law school in Bangalore, opened up a whole new world to me. People from all sorts of diverse backgrounds, um, but also people who, despite being very different, shared my political sensitivities and sympathies. More importantly, Bangalore also introduced me to a world of political discourse. I I discovered the isms, uh, and some I liked, some I did not. Mm-hmm. And uh, the internships were, were fantastic. And one internship in particular, which I did in my second year, it was with the Union of Farmers and Laborers in Rajasthan, in rural Rajasthan, mm-hmm. and spending uh, spending about a month or so in in a mud hut in a hamlet in Rajasthan was just completely uh, eye opening. It was my education in democracy. Um, it's run by this uh, activist, amazing woman called Aruna Roy, mm-hmm. uh, and she she taught me a lot about about my politics and my activism and. Uh, and my worldview. Mm-hmm. Moving to Oxford was, um, in some ways, an easier step than the move from my hometown to Bangalore, because despite the distance from from Bangalore, uh, Oxford was surprisingly familiar in that I knew what to expect. I was much more aware about the type of people I'm going to meet here, mm-hmm. and. My my politics was broadly, my broad political sympathies were largely formed. What Oxford gave me was, uh, was a robust and rigorous intellectual tool to, to think, to ask questions mm-hmm. and to learn. Mm-hmm. And, and can you comment on how the Rhodes experience in particular may have played a role in that evolution? Look, there was no way in which I could have done a postgraduate education without a scholarship. So, so in in at least in that one simple instrumental way, uh, the Rhodes Scholarship was absolutely essential uh, to enable me to 
to come to Oxford. It, without it, there was just no no possibility of my coming here. Having said that, the Rhodes brand itself, it wasn't a particular motivator. I was already, uh, before getting the scholarship, quite uh, politically motivated to, uh, you know, fight the world's fight, mm -hmm. as it were. Um, there was one particular incident uh, which uh, which did stay with me. It was quite early during my time here. Mm -hmm. And at a, at a post-dinner talk, the then warden, Sir Colin Lucas, urged us in a speech um, to, I think he said, uh, be slow to judge. Mm -hmm. And of all the speeches I heard at Rhodes House and Oxford, uh, for some reason, uh, reasons that I'm not quite sure why, mm -hmm. that stuck with me. It was the one lesson that, um, that, that has stayed with me and I think it will stay with me uh, for the rest of my life. It was a wonderful lesson, though. You know, he did not ask us to not judge. Mm -hmm. And sometimes judgment is a moral duty and neutrality uh, cowardice. Nor did he uh, give a morally, morally crippling advice to be perfect before you judge others. Rather, it was a rather poignant advice to be slow to judge. And I since recognized that slowness can be a much uh, underappreciated virtue. On becoming a Rhodes Scholar, what did you consider your mandate to be and how has that impacted the work that you've done since you went down as a Rhodes Scholar? I'm afraid I did not see this, the status as a Rhodes Scholar as carrying any particular special mandate mm -hmm. for me. I was very grateful for the... Uh, for the spirit behind the scholarship and one that I totally recognized with the idea of educating people from around the world. Um, it is it is a mission that in some part I've made my own in, in part as a college tutor trying to raise funds to broaden access to education at Oxford, in part as somebody involved in various initiatives in India to make law school education more accessible to underprivileged and minority community children. So, so the Rhodes mission is very much my own. Um, I didn't believe then and I don't believe now that I had a special mandate, um, as it were, and perhaps unselfconsciously, um, I, I did imbibe the the virtues of of widening education and that's that's certainly been a big part of my own agenda you've also noted in a previous interview that oxford helped you question much of what you had taken as a given now a lot of people uh, when they come to oxford have a degree of acquire a degree of diffidence about their own competence and capability. Um, and therefore, I guess my question is, while, while it's certainly important to question one's own beliefs, to what extent do you think it is nonetheless important for us 
to to develop to stake out a clear position on the issues that exercise us because a lot of people do have the belief when they come here that they would be overestimating their own powers if they thought that they had clear answers to the to the questions that exercise them that's quite look as a, as a as someone who's taught uh, in oxford and elsewhere for about 14 years now i certainly notice this diffidence in students in a place like oxford uh, is one that that encourages this def- diffidence you know it's a place full of extremely clever people from around the world mm-hmm. and almost everybody who comes here feels like a fraud at some point during their time here they feel like the system must have made a difference right uh, some show it some don't mm-hmm. but as long as it's it's acknowledged or, you know that everybody is likely to be feeling like that that difference it can be helped and managed uh, it it when it becomes crippling that is when the difficulty arises on the on the related part in your question about about doubt and certainty i'm a big fan of of doubt i think um skepticism is necessary for for thinking for intellectual growth and development uh, once once you have become too certain of your beliefs in some ways that is the end of growth that does not mean that i don't believe in moral truths mm-hmm. i do i'm not a moral relativist i i just think that we need to be open to the possibility that we might be wrong so intellectual humility is important to me but but being open to that possibility is not the same thing as being unable to act on your current beliefs while being open to be proven wrong so long as you're convinced about the truth of of your moral judgment mm-hmm. it's absolutely right to try to make the world a better place based on those beliefs so my next question is sort of perhaps more has more to do with your own experience in the roads community so when you arrived here you decided to stay away from the roads community to an extent because of a particularly unpleasant experience that you had had when you came here now there is a belief in some quarters that scholarships like the roads are characterized by a self-sustaining sense of insularity Uh, i mean the idea being that uh, you know those in in this community those are the, who are the recipients of the scholarship can often act in ways that are self absorbed and exclusionary so if you do share this diagnosis how according to you can it be remedied look i think so human beings are complicated and rhodes scholars are not an exception mm-hmm. i made the mistake of judging an entire community based on one bad early experience the loss is mine and i wish i had uh, known sir collins uh, wisdom then of being slow to judge 
uh, many beautiful friendships that could have been forged were not forged because I largely stayed away from socializing at Rhodes House, believing that um, that I didn't want to be part of some exclusive self-congratulatory club. Uh, I later discovered that I was indeed wrong and that, yes, there, there are some road scholars who who have that smug approach. Most don't. Um, so whether we can do anything to help it, I think some more uh, proactive messaging from Rhodes House to early scholars just to make it quite convey the message that, you know, yes, Rhodes Scholars are very successful, but the success is owed not just to individual brilliance, but also to their experiences, their privileges, their upbringing, and importantly, luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there are many, many more deserving people around the world who would have been in their shoes um, had their lives turned out slightly differently. So, so I think um, that's the key message. I don't think it's a, well, I, I can't comment on the scale of of this problem, as it were. I don't, I don't know how many Rhodes Scholars mm-hmm. believe themselves uh, to, to be, uh, it, to be so exclusive um, and better than others. But what, what 15 years from, from my own matriculation, what, what I, looking back, can say now is that Getting the scholarship is an important milestone, but it's just that. And and it's not the end of the journey. You you still have to prove yourself, uh, prove yourself to be worthy of, of this enormous benefit, which, which somebody else might have made a lot of. You know, so it's not it's not just it's not just what you make of the scholarship but what somebody else might have done with it yeah. uh, which they won't be able to and that's that's the duty you owe to the trust mm-hmm. to to prove their faith in your ability mm-hmm. to be right so one of the things that that i partic- that i have found particularly helpful is looking at the scholarship uh, not as a capstone, but as a catapult in, way, in in certain ways. So I guess that is kind of part of what you are speaking to as well. Absolutely. That's a very well good way to put it. So uh, you've also commented on how one of the things that most profoundly saddens you is cynicism amongst the fortunate. And I'm wondering how you think that can be addressed. And also sort of moving a bit from the abstract to the concrete. A lot of people, when they come here uh, to Oxford, have a burning desire to effectuate change, but then get, get jaded and no longer stay you know, as invested in trying to um, change the institutions and systems that they find problematic. Uh, so what advice would you have for those who are in that position? Look, cynicism is, it comes easily to, to humans, but it is, it is a huge problem because it's a handy tool to beat one's conscience. It's an, it's an apology for being content with the world as it is, so long as 
uh, your self-interest is being catered to. And that, that might sound ironic because cynicism is is a lack of faith in, in everyone. Um, and yet it, it can be immobilizing. It can, it can f- justify your acceptance of, of the way things are as long as you can flourish. So, so that's why I find it problematic. And, and, and it, it's, it's particularly sad in the most fortunate because they are in some ways the people who have benefited the most from the system as it exists and, and to not then extend those benefits, not want to extend those benefits to others seems uh, particularly um, galling to me. Also because they're most likely to be in the situation where they can extend mm-hmm. the benefits they have uh, uh, they have received to others who, who haven't been so lucky. My <laughs> advice to students, that I think I would repeat Sir Collins' advice that to, to be slow to judge. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is an enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, institutional battles can be all-consuming and your current proximate environment can seem like the whole world to you, especially while you are in a relatively insulated place like, like the university. Mm-hmm. But play the long game. Pick your battles carefully. Not all battles are worth fighting for mm-hmm. and not all battles are worth fighting for by you um, and sometimes it is important not to fight at all sometimes it is extremely important to celebrate and to have fun and to talk to friends and even even during the darkest times so so I I, I think that it's morally crippling cynicism which you have because which, which one can have because the system is broken can f- can seem overwhelming and that's why it's important to pick your battles Kevin you know, I make peace with the idea that that you're a small relatively insignificant individual who is probably likely at best to change mm-hmm. a little bit for the better and may actually end up doing harm with the best of intentions so so be be aware of your own limitations and capacities and and try to change what little you can mm-hmm. and 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 that perhaps is is the way to be content you know just uh, it's not f- fatalism but but there's there's a problem with with this heroic narrative that that we all celebrate in our popular culture and it's it's particularly easy to to buy into as a road scholar mm-hmm. just uh, some more humility not just intellectual but also about your own powers and capacities mm-hmm. may perhaps make you less cynical and more able to to bring about change that you want to see in the world.